0: Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. So we're in, a, we're in towards the end of a the series. There's only uh, one more sermon in this series on identity, intimacy, and destiny. And as Dennis pointed out last week, that it's as we come into an understanding of who we are in Christ, as we come into deeper intimacy with the Lord, and, and as we uh, begin to really abide in Christ and listen to the Holy Spirit, we, we move along the path of our, in, our, our, our destiny. And uh, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that Christians, especially young Christians, pray for is, uh, you know, to know God's will for their lives. And, and you know, I have a, a real dear friend, Wally Martinson. Many of you know him. He's a, uh, a spiritual leader here in Springfield. And uh, I, I never will forget several years ago hearing Wally say that there's nothing worse in life than to climb the ladder of success, reach the top towards the end of your life, only to realize that your ladder's been propped up against the wrong wall. Does that make sense? So you've, you've been doing what you think is, you know, the right thing. And uh, there is a, you know, the Proverbs says twice, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it ends in death because it's not the right way. We're climbing the, long, wrong, we're climbing the ladder propped against the wrong wall. And Jesus says, you know, many of you will say on that day, uh, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and that and the other thing in your name for you? Did we not do all these great things? And he's going to say, but you didn't do the will of my Father. And that's a bad thing to hear at the end of your life. And so this morning I, I want to talk about God's will, the Father's will, because that should be our destiny, right? To do the Father's will should be our destiny. And, you know, uh, we, we talked about that God is calling us to do what we cannot do with what we, have not, we do not have for the rest of our lives, we're inadequate, we're weak, and we de- we're completely dependent on him. And Dennis talked about last week how we have to abide in Christ. If we're ever going to do anything worthwhile in this, in, on this earth for the kingdom of God, we have to abide in Christ to stay in him, to stay with him, to know him. And then in that relationship, fruit is born. <clears throat> we don't produce the fruit. It's born naturally, supernaturally through our connection with Jesus. And I'm just going to add to that this morning. So, uh, you know, a lot of Christians are asking, God, what is your will for my life? Show me your will for my life. Give me your will for my life. Give me the blueprint. Let me see, you know, where you're taking me. Where is this whole thing going? What is your will, the big picture for my life? It reminds me of the man who who was, uh, you know, really wanting, you know, he was he was tired of, of of feeling like like life was going nowhere, and he's like, God, you know, show me your will for my life. Show me your will, and I know I know that it's got to be found in your word. So I'm just going to open the Bible. I'm going to put my finger on a verse, and you're going to tell me your will for my life. And so he 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 opens the Bible. He closes his eyes and flips through and puts his finger down, and he looks down and it says, "Then Judas went out and hanged himself." He's like, "No, Lord. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I." I That can't be your will. So so he flipped back a little bit and closed his eyes and said, okay, Lord, this time just show me your will for my life. He puts his finger down on a verse. He opens his eyes and it says, go and do likewise. (laughs) I would not recommend that formula for finding God's will for your life. I just wouldn't recommend it. I don't believe in fleeces. I believe that God honored that with Gideon, but I don't think that's generally how God works. I remember in my own life <clears throat> coming to a point where I needed to, to know God's will. I was in my last week of college, 1981. Most of you weren't alive at that point. But back in 1981, and, and, and so in the same week, I had my only interview at the end of my college career for a job. And the, the day before my interview that was scheduled, I got my letter of acceptance to Asbury, uh, Asbury Seminary to go to seminary. To train to be a pastor. Do I go to work? I was sick of school. I didn't want to go through another three years of school. Uh, at, at you know, an MDiv is what you have to get to, to be a pastor in United Methodist Church. Ninety hours. I'd already spent 120 hours. I crammed four years into five and a half, and you know, and, and so I was sick of school. And so I was living in the back room of this elderly lady's house. I was renting a room. It was like $100 a month or something. And on the dresser, there was this old rusty horseshoe. So I had an idea. So I took the horseshoe, and I walked out in the backyard that evening. It was like on a Thursday evening. The interview was the next morning. I had just gotten my letter of acceptance from Asbury. I did not know what to do. I'm standing literally at a crossroads, like a fork in the road. And so I took this horseshoe, and I said, Lord... I'm going to throw this horseshoe up in the air, and if it points that way, I'm going to work. If it points that way, I'm going to seminary. So I closed my eyes, I threw it up in the air, and it landed just like this. <laughs> I took the horseshoe, took it back in the house, laid it back on the dresser, and I said, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. You're going to have to lead me from here. And, and he did. I mean, very clearly led me. But it was step at a time, day by day. So, so guys, I think... That we make a fundamental mistake by saying, Lord, what is your will for my life? I don't think Jesus said to the Father, what is your will for my life, Father? I believe that when he was baptized on on the shores of the Jordan River and he experienced his Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and filled him, from that moment it says, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and went to his home church in Nazareth and started his public ministry there. I believe that that the question that we need to be asking is the one that Jesus asked his Father every morning of his life. And by the way, guys, I know he was fully God, but I believe that he limited himself in his Godness to live the same way he's asking us to live, moment by moment in communication with the Holy Spirit to to fulfill the Father's will, moment by moment, day by day. He He didn't exercise any extra power. It says he emptied himself of his glory and became like us. And so I believe that he wants us to live just like he did, and he lived just like he wants us to do. So here's the thing, I, I really believe that he got up, how, how many of you now, I keep throwing this out, have seen The Chosen? Let me see your hands. Okay, the rest of you are in real trouble because you're not listening. You've got to watch The Chosen, but anyway, it's there, there's a one of the most comical scenes in The Chosen is when they, they finally, you know, Jesus has gotten the disciples together and they've left Capernaum where they've spent, you know, a lot of time, that's where the, the, the fishermen boys are from. And they've started out on their journey. And of course, Matthew has got his map, you know. And just, Jesus decides that they're going through Sychar of the Samaritans. No good Jew will go through Samaria. They were the outcasts. The, the, they were worse than Gentiles. They were half-breeds. There was a lot of tension and friction between the Samaritans and the Jews. And no conscientious Jew would ever interact with a Samaritan and Jesus springs the news on them hey we're going through Samaria to Jerusalem and we're going through Sychar which was one of the towns where Jacob's well was they are not happy Matthew is arguing with Jesus that that's not the best route to Jerusalem it's not the direct route he says I know that and, and the two sons of thunder come to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, this is not good. You know that we don't have anything to do with Samaritans. And they're arguing with him. And at one point, the funny, the funny scene to me is Jesus turns around and says, Look, guys, if you're going to question every decision that I make along the way, then this is going to become very annoying. I'm going to Samaria through Sychar. If you want to follow me, then we're, you're going to Sychar with me. Otherwise, you can go home. But you know what I I don't believe happened in that story was that Jesus knew until he got to the well what his divine appointment was. When he got there, the father said, wait, the disciples went into town to get food and he was there by himself and then this woman comes at noontime by herself and then Jesus begins to see what's going on. The Father shows him and begins to reveal words of knowledge and, and, and shows him what's going on in this woman's life. I, I honestly don't believe that 10 weeks before this, he knew he was going to have this encounter. I just don't. Because that's not how he works in our lives. He highlighted, we, those of you who took, have taken School of Kingdom Ministry, he highlighted that woman and said, hey, I want you to have a conversation with her. And then he just followed the Spirit through whatever the Spirit wanted him to say. I really believe that's what happened. You can disagree with me. That's fine. That's, that's a disputable matter. I'm not going to argue with you. Another, another time, he's going through Jericho. And uh, I, I believe he saw this little man up in a tree trying to see him. And the Holy Spirit said, that's the guy right there. I want you to have lunch with him. So he walks up to him and he says his name is Zacchaeus. And he walks up and says, Zacchaeus... I'm coming to your house today to have lunch with you. And then God does what God does when Jesus has this encounter with him at lunch. I believe that Jesus followed the Spirit step by step. So here's the question. Not, God, what is your big picture will for my life? Because I believe Jesus knew that in a sense. I think we all have the same calling. You know, I said when I preached two weeks ago, Jesus had the calling to preach good news to the poor, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That's his big job description, big picture painting in broad strokes job description. Ours is the same thing. In Luke, four chapters later, he sends the disciples out to do the same thing as he read about in, in the book of Isaiah about himself, the messianic prophecy from Isaiah 61. He sends the disciples out to do the very same thing, and he's never changed his, his mind about that. If you're a disciple, that's what he's called you to do too. So big picture, you're to preach good news to the poor. You're to tell people about Jesus and redemption and salvation. You're to, to heal the sick and cast out demons and, 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 and just bring joy to people and salvation to people. But what is your specific calling you have one. God's called, called you to do whatever. I mean, and, and that changes. Seasons change. He might have you doing this for a season and that for a season. When I came to town, I told you I was running for pastoral ministry. I was a jail chaplain for a year. But that's not ultimately what God wanted me to do. And so he's going to lead us along a crooked path most of the time. We could start out over here and end up here. You know, kind of like Jonah. He jumped in you know, the sea and Got in the belly of a whale, ended up where he's supposed to be. That's not where he was traveling. He was trying to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. But anyway, that's a whole other story, and I'm not going into it. But I just want to say this. The question that we need to be asking is, Lord, this morning as I wake up and I'm in your presence, speak to me. What are you doing, and how can I join you in it? What is your will today for me? What are you doing? Where are you working? How can I join you in what you're doing? What is your will right now, this minute. And an hour later, Lord, what are you doing now? Where do you want me now? I really believe that's how we're supposed to function. And God will lead us. You know, the problem with, God, what is your will for my life, puts me at the center. Does that make sense? Lord, what are you doing in my life? Not what are you doing in my life. In, in the people around me, in, in Northridge, in, in my workplace, in my family? That's the question that we should be asking. But, but, you know, there was a time before the invention of the telescope when human beings thought that, we were, that, that the earth was the center of the universe because the stars moved around the earth and the sun came up and set. And, oh, the earth is the center of the entire universe. It has to be. And then we discovered astronomy... Started looking through telescopes and started mapping out, you know, seasons and all these kind of things and the movement of the moon and the stars and so forth. And we realized that our Milky Way galaxy is not even close to the center of the universe. And there are eight four to eight billion, or I'm sorry, four hundred to eight billion four hundred to eight hundred billion stars in the Milky Way. And we're somewhere between one of the arms of the Milky Way and the center of the Milky Way. We're not even the center of our own galaxy, let alone the universe. And, you know, God created the entire universe. So I think he should be at the center of everything. I mean, this thing started with him. <laughs> and, and you and I, we're not big enough that, that, you know, we're the center of our own universe. God is he he is really concerned about your life and mine, but he's more concerned that we live in union with him. And and here's how that plays out. Here's how that plays out. You know, I, I I really loved Dennis's sermon last week about abiding in Christ and staying connected with him and And He shows us the Father's will, and we bear fruit by letting Him continue to do the Father's will through us as as we abide in Him and stay connected with Him. Fruit is born in our lives, and we accomplish the Father's will. But as we abide in Jesus, it says, I I want to read three verses in this John 14 through 16. And so in John 15, He's talking about abiding, but He's also in John 14, a little bit of John 15, and then a lot in John 16 talking about something else that's super important that has to do we, we are to abide in Jesus but thank God he wants to also abide in us okay so he, so here's the here's the scripture so uh, uh, this is what uh, by the way this is called the father's will our destiny part three the father's will that's the name of the sermon I told Wes I would say that forgot to so now I've kept my promise all right, <laughs> the Father's will, that's our destiny, okay? So let's look at, at uh, John 15, where Dennis left off last week, and let's look at verses 15 and 16. Jesus says to his knuckle-headed disciples, you know, Peter's just made a fool of himself by saying, I will never forsake you, you know, and he's like, yeah, tomorrow morning <laughs> you will, no longer Do I call you servants because a servant or slave does not know his master's business? Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I know that Dennis is going to pick up in the Scripture next week, so I'm not going to steal his thunder. But I want to show you what surrounds that. Okay, so he says... He says, I, I, um, for everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And that's going to be the mode of operation from here on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to my Father. You know, Jesus said, I only do what the Father's doing. I only say what the Father's saying. And, and so he lived his entire life doing that. But how did he know that? It's because the Holy Spirit had come on him and was in him. Okay? And so Jesus begins to make the disciples some promises because he told them, I'm going away now. I'm leaving. I'm not going to be around any longer. Not at least where you can see me or the world can see me. But I will not leave you as orphans. So let's look. Let's pick up in John 14, verses 16 through 21. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. It's also uh, helper, counselor. The word there is paraclete, and I'm going to explain that in a moment. So I will give you another paraclete to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you. Where where is he? In me. Jesus is like he's here in me. He's been with you and he will in the future be in you. Okay? Right now, he's with you, but he'll be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, here's something, guys Jesus is not schizophrenic, but sometimes we parse out the persons of the Trinity way too much, and we make them individual gods instead of just individual persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one God, three persons. And so when Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, he's talking about his spirit, the spirit of Christ coming to live within us. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Verse 19, before long the world will will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. The spirit gives life. On that day... On that day, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. you. Guys, think about that. I am in you, you're in me, we're in the Father. One big happy family, and that happens by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. (laughs) That is so good. He has not left us alone. Man, this mutual indwelling. I just love it. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. We need to live out his will. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Now let's look at at chapter 16, because he picks this whole theme up again of the Spirit. But very truly I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the counselor, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. Like, like they're heavy hearted, Jesus has just told them he's going away, he's going to leave them, they're not going to see him, and, and they don't understand what he's talking about, about he's going to send this counsel, they, they have no clue. I mean, there's just no way they have any kind of grid to understand what he's talking about. And so their hearts are heavy, and he wants to tell them all kinds of things, but he knows that they don't have the spirit of truth to even explain what he's saying. And so he says, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So I'm going to listen to the Father, and I'm going to share that with the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to share that with you. Because he's living inside of us. We have this, we it's better than on star. We have the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and what He will make and and from me what He will make known to you. Isn't that awesome that He considers us so important that He's going to send us this on-star Holy Spirit that's going to listen to Jesus revealing the will of the Father and then reveal that to us. That's how we're going to know what to do moment by moment, day by day. The word paraclete, interesting word. It's an, it's actually, it actually comes from the court system in the, the Greek um, culture at that time. And uh, it's a word... Para means alongside, and cleat means to call. So, to call alongside. So, this was an actual, a paraclete was an actual, kind of like an attorney, but different. Their court system was very different than our court system. Uh, You know, we, we, we have things set up where, you know, the person that's on the defense usually allows his lawyer to speak for him and usually won't take the stand unless he has to or whatever. This was really different. And so there was a judge and then there was an, a prosecutor and the, you know, someone bringing an accusation. And then the person that was coming to court to defend himself or herself would have a, a paraclete. Now, I don't know how they got the paraclete. I don't know if they were hired or if they were appointed. Whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is that the paraclete knew all about the, the, the court system. And so this paraclete was a friend that was alongside, that was called to be alongside the person that was on trial or that was bringing, you know, whatever before the judge. And so the paraclete would accompany this person. He would say, now this, we're going to go in the store right here. We're going to go over here and we're going to sit. And that's the judge right there. And, and this is the, you know, whatever. And, and so this is what this means and that means. And so in a moment, the judge is going to say something. And so, so when the judge speaks, he says, okay, so this is what he said, this is what he means by that, and now you should respond to that this way. And, and just right there alongside to just instruct and make sure that, that the person was not alone and, and was, was, everything was being explained as he went through the, court, you know, the, the, the proceedings. What a wonderful thing to have a friend like that. And Jesus says, that's what you got in the Holy Spirit. He's your paraclete. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's going to be right there with you. When you go through rough times, when you don't understand what's going on, you know he's going, to, he's going to be with you. He's going to explain things. And he's also a comforter. You know, The word comforter also means you may not understand this, and I can't really explain everything to you right now, but I'm just going to be here with you, and I'm going to ride this storm out with you, and you're going to be okay. And so Jesus wanted his disciples to know what the Father's will was what he was doing and what he was saying so they could now join him in what he was doing. I mean, that's really what was going on. So I think the question is not, God, what's your will for my life? It's, Father, what is your will for me today? Holy Spirit, would you show me what the Father's doing? Holy Spirit, would you show me what the Father saying. What's your will? What's your will in this situation? Let me give you an example of this. Couple, uh, it's been about four years ago now. I was in a meeting over in Columbus, and uh, the woman behind me tapped me on the shoulder and said, I got a gift for you. I, don't, I, I didn't know her. I don't know why she picked me out or whatever, but she handed me this little book. Her name was uh, Rebecca Brown. Uh, I, I don't know her, I, I didn't know her before, but she handed me this book. It's called God Guides by, by Mary G. And uh, she said, I want you to have this. this. This book has blessed me and I want you to have this. And it's all about this woman who was a missionary in, um, in India for 38 years. And she spent most of her 38 years working in a mission school in southern India and a a traveling evangelist came through and taught her and the people in in her locale how to wait on the Lord and just listen, just sit before Him in silence and listen for His will. And when they got into problems and they had troubles, they would sit and they would ask Jesus, ask you know the Lord, Holy Spirit, you know, what do you want? What what do you want had to happen in this situation? What do you want me to do? So I'm going to tell you one story. There's probably about 100 stories in this little, one little book. I'm going to tell you this one story. It's very early in the book. It's like the third story. She said she began to really practice this. She would sit before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to speak to me this morning? What do you want what to say? And here's a particular problem I'm having. What do you want me to do about this? Well, <laughs> she, one of the things that she sh- shared that the Lord had kind of pointed out as she listened to him in early in her time in doing that was that she had a very critical spirit. She was very critical of people. And so she had asked the Lord to soften her heart and to deal with that. And so he was, he was doing that. And so this particular morning she was sitting before the Lord and she was working with a, you know, a lot of people at this mission school and there was one particular woman who had ten kids who was sick a lot and, and even when she was there she was not carrying her load I mean, you can imagine with ten kids and, you know, exhaustion. You know, I can't. That's why we only had two. You know, that's that's, that's all the energy I got. Sorry. But she was becoming very frustrated and very bitter about this, having to hold up this woman's, you know, she was doing her own work and having to hold up this woman's responsibility, too, when she was missing work and coming to work and not performing. And so, anyway, it was it was a bad situation and she was, she was really beginning to develop this root of bitterness towards this woman. And she said, Lord, what, what do you want me to do about this? Like, show me what to do. And he heard, he, she heard the words, take her an egg. An egg. This woman has ten children. What has an egg got to do with anything? Like, if I take her an egg, which I don't even have, but if I take it, with 10 kids, I mean, we're talking about at least 11 people, but not including her husband, so 12 people at least. And an egg? She said, that can't be God. She put her journal down and went to school. She just said, that can't be God. I obviously didn't hear him, so whatever. She goes to school. She comes home at noon for lunch. She walks in her open-air living room with no windows, I mean, no glass in the window panes. It just didn't have it. You know, India, southern India never gets cold, so you know, just open air, on her couch uh, in, in the living room, a chicken was roosting on the couch and got up and clucked away and had laid an egg on her couch, one egg. She said that never happened before and it's never happened again. And she remembered what the Lord had spoken that morning and she said, well, maybe that was you. So she walked over and picked up the egg, and she said, I do not like this woman, but I'm going to take this egg because you said so. So she walked over, and she said, thankfully, her son was playing in the front yard, her little boy. She said, here, give this to your mother, and she took off. <laughs> she said, later that, that evening, this woman came to her house, her coworker came to her house, and said, knocked on the door, and she said, why did you give me an egg? And and she said, well, I was listening to the Lord this morning, and he said, give you an egg. She said, that is just like God. She said, you have no idea what that meant to me. She said, I I, uh, fed my children this morning, and there was no food left in the house. And so I went without. And I was feeling absolutely weak and just famished. And suddenly my son walks up with this egg and said that you had given it to him. And I cooked the egg and I ate it and I can't tell you how refreshed I was and how it felt like that one egg just sus- sustained me through you know, the rest of the day and I just want to say thank you for listening to God and being obedient. Mary's like, man, I was convicted by that. And she said not only that, the woman and her family started doing the listening prayer and started listening to God. Well, several weeks later, their two-year-old son got very, very ill. And the doctor, for over a period of, of a, a, a week, the doctor would come and go, and finally he said, your son is basically about to die. There's nothing more I can do. And sure enough, sometime that afternoon he died. So the parent said to one of the younger sons, go and get Mary and, and <clears throat> tell her what's happened and ask her if she would please come. <clears throat> and so Mary said, I did. I I wanted to be there for the family. I'd really grown to love this family and had great compassion. And so I, I went and she said, I just, I said, let's just sit that they had already put him in a little coffin. It was open, but they, they were just sitting around. And she said, let's just sit here and just wait on the Lord. And I'm, I'm just going to have to refer to a couple of things here as I'm telling this, but She said they consented to have a quiet time and listening prayer with the family. The whole family sat in a circle around the coffin, and as we sat there quietly, a thought came to me, get some anti philistine or something like that, and cotton. Anyways, just you know, medicine. It's like she said, it's like Denver clay used for pneumonia. I told the oldest son, go quickly to the market and get a jar of this and a large roll of cotton. And so he did and he came back and they heated it and they put some on the, the say so they took it out of the coffin took it into the to the kitchen and put it on the kitchen table put the clay on its back and on its chest and wrapped it in 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 this cotton 5 hours they sat there 5 hours they prayed 5 hours later the little boy opened his eyes and was restored to the family The second oldest son had walked away from the Lord, was living a very ungodly lifestyle. Because of that miracle, because of that miracle, he repented of his sin and entered seminary and became a pastor of a church and led scores of people to Christ. The father became a kind of a... In listening prayer, he became kind of an advocate for peacemaking, and he would go to communities where there was tension and friction, in churches and in, in schools and stuff and he would work to, to uh, reconcile people and there's a story uh, about uh, a church that was incredibly divided and through his listening prayer and through getting people to listen to the Lord and reconcile, a revival came to that, to that church in that area and they started their own school, Christian school because one woman heard the will of God, and took an egg to her neighbor. We have to do what we cannot do with what we do not have for the rest of our lives. But we do that by listening to the Holy Spirit and knowing the will of God moment by moment, day by day, and doing what God is leading us to in that moment. God's not going to give you the roadmap for the rest of your life. Don't even ask that. That's not the point. The point is, Lord, what are you doing right now and how do, you want me to, how do you want me to join you in that? Just a couple of quick stories and I'm done. The other day I was at um, a, a local grocery store and going through the checkout line and I noticed that the, the woman checking out was apologizing to the customer in front of me because she had her arm in a sling and she was trying to get groceries in the bag and you know, ring them out and all this. And, and I heard her tell him, yeah, I uh, I'm, I have an appointment in two days and I'm going to find out from the doctor whether or not I'll have, surger- have to have surgery on my arm. You know, it doesn't take a genius to you know realize that God's highlighting that to me. <laughs> so that's my woman at the well, my, my Zacchaeus. And so as I stepped up to, the, to my turn to check out, I said, I understand that you're, you're, you have problems with your, your, your left arm and you're going to find out in a couple of days if you have to have surgery. She said, yeah, she said, it, you know, um, I, she told me a little bit about it and as we were talking I said would it be okay if I prayed for your healing and, she, and then a customer walked up and she said well I can't do that with a customer and it, this man turned around and went two, down, two lanes down and went through another line and so there was nobody that came up for several minutes I mean you know like I want to say several probably two or three but I said is it okay if I put my hand on you and pray and she said sure and so I I prayed for her, and I prayed my best prayer, and you know, like Wes played for Seth just now, and just, you know, God, just, just you know, I, I just, in the name of Jesus, I just command this arm to be healed, and when she goes to have it x-rayed or whatever, that, you know, everything will be fine. And I haven't followed up. I haven't checked to see if everything was healed. But I, as I walked out of the store, I want to tell you, I was not feeling like a hero. I was thinking to myself, why am I always in such a hurry that I can't do that more often because that's the kingdom. And the Lord almost has to shout to me sometimes to get my attention enough to do something like that. I'll tell you another story. Yesterday, Deb and I went to Bob Evans. And I'm we're, you know, 20-minute wait. We're standing there, and and, uh, people are checking out, a bunch of people sitting around. And I saw this man go up to the counter to pay, and he was in bad shape. He couldn't straighten up, he couldn't get about, he couldn't get beyond about here. One of his arms he couldn't use. He was obviously limping. And I felt like I was supposed to go pray for that man. And I was frozen in place. And I watched him pay his check and I watched him limp out the door and go to his car. And I watched him get in his car and drive away. And I stood there frozen. And I didn't go pray for him. And God had highlighted him. I knew he he had. I just couldn't muster whatever it was to be obedient in that moment. And I'm ashamed of that. And I just want you to know I'm just like you guys. I'm trying to step across the chicken line. I'm trying to hear the Lord and obey. But sometimes I don't. But I want to. My heart is to do the will of God. My heart is to cross the chicken line, to live on the other side where life is. And whether he was healed or not, that's not my business. Let me just read one little quote from, from Mary real quick. I didn't plan to read this, but this is at the top of the page. Here's what the Lord said to her when she was talking about, uh, you know, this, when she walked in and found the egg, she goes, why not obey? Uh, and, and the voice said in her head, why not obey now? You got the egg. You didn't have the egg before. Now you got it. And she said, she'll laugh at me. And here's what the Lord said, the results are not your business. Whether that man was healed or not in that moment was not my business. Your business is obedience. And you promised me that you would obey me. I've made the same promise, and I failed yesterday. But guys, I am going to try to go after God. I mean, try, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like I want to live, like I just described, listening to the Spirit, Lord, what is, your men, what is your will in this moment and in this moment and in this situation? And whether it looks... Imp- We've got to live the rest of our lives doing what we cannot do with what we do not have. That's what I said two weeks ago. I need to listen to my own sermon. I was chicken that... I'm going to pray for that man and nothing's going to happen. And I'm going to look like an idiot and he's going to be offended. He didn't tell me to bring the results... He said, if I abide in him, I bear fruit, and the results are his business. Mine is to obey. So, would you forgive me for disobeying the Lord yesterday as your pastoral leader? Guys, the question is not what's your will for my life? It's what, God, what are you doing right now? What is your will for this moment? What is your will in this situation? Lead me by your spirit. And help me to continue to just abide in Jesus and bear the fruit. Not produce fruit, but just to bear it. The results are His, guys. The fruit is His. We just need to abide in Jesus and remember that He, His Spirit's abiding in us. And He's revealing the Father's will moment by moment. Let's live like that. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.